Good morning. So, yes, as Mitch said, that there's been times in the past I've told him, I said, if you, uh, if you ever need me to fill in to preach, I'd love to. Just, just put me in, coach. And so he did. And I've told folks that this is both exciting and terrifying. Um, it's exciting because I get to bring the Word of God to you. It's also terrifying because I'm bringing the Word of God to you, right? I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of, of the Lord, which is heavy. Uh, if you would, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 1, please. I heard a pastor say this one time that um, the safest and the most dangerous place to be is at a church service where the gospel is being proclaimed. It's the safest because that, of course, is the message that we're all saved by. It's also the most dangerous because after hearing it, you can't ever say that you didn't know. And so this morning, uh, by God's grace, I hope to go over the gospel once again. One of the things that uh, I'm so grateful for with Pastor Mitch is he continues to bring the gospel message before us every single Sunday because we need it every single Sunday. And there I say we need it every single day. And here in the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he hadn't even been to Rome yet, but he writes them this letter and he starts it off by praising them for their faith, saying, your faith has been heard throughout all the world. He's writing to the church. He's calling them believers. And yet in verse 15, he says, but I am eager to preach the gospel to you. It's interesting that to believers, Paul's still eager to preach the gospel. He wants to encourage their faith and strengthen their faith. And as we uh, recognize the context coming into this passage, I'm going to read here in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's go to the Lord and prayer. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Father, for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this moment where we're able to meet together and sit under your word. Pray that you would use me to speak to your people, that you would guard my mouth, have me say everything you'd have me say, and nothing more. Please convict our hearts and encourage us to your glory. And it's in Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. So, as I was preparing for this message, uh, I came across an email where uh, one of the guys that I, I subscribed to his emails, he put a message in there about Coach Vince Lombardi. And I thought, how poignant is that for this topic? That in 1961, coming into the, the next uh, preseason training, 
Vince Lombardi did something that might offend most professional football players. You see, the season just prior, they had lost the national championship. This is before it was called the, the Super Bowl. They had lost it in the last quarter, my understanding. And so when he came in to the next season's training, he brought in with him the pigskin, and he held it up before these professional football players, most of them who've been playing football all of their lives. Many of them were just in the national championship football game the season before. And he holds up this pigskin, and he says, Gentlemen, this is a football. And he goes back to the basics, back to the basics of blocking and tackling, the basics of, of football 101. And guess what? They won the national championship that year. And they went on to win five more times in the next seven or so years by getting back to the basics. I kind of feel like that some 1,900 years prior to Vince Lombardi, Paul was doing the same thing here. As he's writing to the church in Rome, he starts with the basics, saying, I'm eager to come to you to preach the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so as we go through this, I want to kind of bring up three questions. Really, one, what is the gospel? Two, what does the gospel do? And then three, what does the gospel continue to do? So with number one, what is the gospel? If I asked you, what is the gospel? How would you respond? You don't have to, of course, respond out loud, but think about that in your own mind. How would you express the gospel? If you were to go tell your friend what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, what would you say? And some people might say, well, the gospel is the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the gospels, right? Because they tell of the story of Christ. But if I were to say, can you, can you narrow it down? Can you make it concise? Like, put the gospel in just, say, ten words or less. What would you say? Thankfully, the Apostle Paul has done that for us already in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says even to them, he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 4. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, again, he's reminding them, saying this to them again, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, here it is, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He goes on to say and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared more to 500 people. So here's the gospel message in ten words. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel message. It's that simple, yet that complex. 
And I'll say as an aside that for a while I erred in only presenting half of the gospel, only talking about Christ dying for our sins. But even Paul says if Christ was not raised, then you're still in your sins. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was raised, or by Jesus being raised from the dead, it proved that he's the Son of God. He goes on to say in in Romans at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus was raised for our justification. It proved that God received that payment in full. And then Luke recalls Paul's statement in Acts 17 where Paul says, And because he was raised from the dead, we know he's coming back. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel. Yet in order to receive that, we have to be be pricked by the Holy Spirit If it was that simple, where all you had to do was just memorize that, then anybody and everybody, everybody would be saved. But it's that message that God uses through the power of the Holy Spirit to get into our hearts. You see, the word gospel means good news. In Greek, it's it's euangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism from, to share the good news. Yet good news is always relative to bad news. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you get home from church today, and a buddy of yours stops by the house and says, hey, I paid your fine. You might be like, okay, thank you. I didn't even know I had a fine. All right. You didn't even know the bad news. So the good news was kind of trivial. But let's change it up a bit where you know the bad news first. Let's say that a week prior, you got a letter in the mail from the IRS saying that you had forgot for the last 15 years to file a specific form. And now not only do you owe back taxes, but you owe a fine on top of that, totaling $950,000. And if you don't pay it, all your property is going to, be, going to be confiscated. Your house is going to be taken. Your cars. Your wife's wedding ring. And then you're going to be put in prison. So you go out and you first you get a lawyer and say, man, is this thing right? He's like, that's right. So then you go to the bank and ask if you can borrow the $950,000. They're like, I ain't touching that with a 10-foot pole. You're on your own. So you go to your friends and you ask, is there any way you can help me out? They're like, man, I don't have that kind of money. So now anxiety starts to set in and panic and the weight of this burden that you can't carry till you find yourself weeping in a fetal position on the floor, not knowing what to do because your life is about to completely change and end as you know it. And then you hear a knock on the door, and you don't even want to answer it because you're afraid it's them coming to get you. Your spouse answers the door, and it's a familiar voice. And your friend comes over, 
sees you on the floor and puts his hand on your shoulder and says, I paid your fine. Same words, but now you know the bad news. And the reality is we all have terrible news. We all have horrible news. And that news started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You see, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made it all for his glory. And he created man in his own image. He created us to be his image bearers, his ambassadors here on earth. He told Adam and Eve to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply, subdue it, have dominion over it. Everything was theirs except for one tree, one tree. God kept one tree away from them. I'd like to think it's a way for them to show or prove their love for God. And of course, we know the story, but as you hear this story, don't glaze over it as if, yeah, I've heard that before. But think about this. God allowed Satan to come into the garden. Satan tempted Eve. God already told Adam, in the day that you eat of that tree, surely you will die. Yet Satan says, you won't die. You're going to be like God. Eve takes of the fruit and eats, and she doesn't kill over. Adam's looking at her. He's like, well, I don't know what death is, but it didn't seem to happen to her. And he takes the fruit, and he eats it. And in that moment, they didn't drop dead physically, but something changed. God's no liar. They died spiritually. Their eyes were open. They now knew evil. That's the name of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. It's not some magical thing. It was a reality in their lives that whenever they sinned against God, now they knew evil. And God said they would die. They died spiritually. This connection they had with God was no longer there. It couldn't be there because now they are marred. They're dirty, and God is clean and holy and righteous. And so what they try to do, they try to do the same thing we all try to do. They try to fix, fix it themselves. They grabbed a bunch of fig leaves. They saw that they were naked. They were ashamed, and they tried to cover themselves up. And I like how a brother of mine says, is that, you know, they're probably looking all dumb trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves. And then they hear God coming, so they hide as if you can hide from God. Anybody ever tried to hide from God? I have. It doesn't work. And God calls out to him, of course, and says, Adam, where are you? What's going on? Why are you hiding? Adam says, we're naked. He says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And, of course, he did. The reality in that moment is that Adam and Eve had separated themselves from God. Here's the end result to that. The penalty for sin is death. And so now Adam and Eve are go both going to die physically, and they're already separated from God spiritually. And so if they go off into eternity spiritually separated from God, from the love of God, they will forever be under the wrath of God. They'll forever be under the punishment of God. You see, God is a just God. We understand justice in our judicial system. If somebody commits a crime, we expect that to be paid for. We expect them to have to, uh, to have to spend time in prison or somehow account for the wrong that they did. Matter of fact, if, if somebody robs a store and they get caught red-handed and they're taken before the judge and the judge just says, ah, that's okay, you, uh, you, were, you called your mom last week, you did a good deed, I'll let you off the hook. 
We wouldn't consider that judge a just judge, would we? Yet God is a just judge, and he's a holy and righteous judge. So he won't let anything mar his name. He won't let anything come against him. Anyone who does sin against him will be held accountable. That sin has to be paid for. It has to be. It can't be swept under the rug and act like it didn't happen. It has to be paid for. And the reality is you and I can't pay for it. Adam and Eve can't pay for it. They couldn't fix themselves. We can't fix ourselves. An illustration I've given on that before is to say that if you had a dirty rag, if I gave you this dirty, oily rag that I used, which I was just cleaning or changing the oil in my car, and I said, can you take that rag and clean it with itself, please? You can't. All you do is make the rag more dirty. That's what we do. When we try to clean ourselves, we only make ourselves more dirty. And so the reality is God has this place for all eternity, for all of those to go who are against him, and it's called hell. You know, fire and brimstone preachers get a bad rap often. Oh, they're just a fire and brimstone preacher. But the reality is Jesus was a fire and brimstone preacher. He spoke about hell more than anybody else. Now, I'm going to go there with you so that you can feel the weight of the bad news first. Hell is a real place created for all of those who will be against God, who are against God, for them to spend eternity, not in the presence of God's love, but in the presence of his wrath, in the presence of his just punishment. Jesus describes it as a place of darkness, a place of burning sulfur, a place where the worm eats and doesn't decay. A place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Meaning people are grinding their teeth together because they're in such pain and it doesn't end. It lasts all day and then the next day and then the next day and the next thousand years and the next thousand years and it never ends. One preacher preached a sermon called Hell has no exits. There's not a place of purgatory. There's not a place of second chances after death. It is appointed for man once to die, and then comes judgment. And the reality is all of us have earned it, just like Adam and Eve earned it. All of us, from the moment we could choose the difference between good and evil, we chose evil. We sinned. We separated ourselves from God spiritually and the only thing we deserve is his punishment that's the bad news the reality that we can't get out of it yet from the very beginning from the moment that it happened God already gave a glimpse of the good news Genesis 3:15 immediately when God was handing down the curse to the serpent to Satan in it, he says, the seed of the woman will bruise your head or crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. A picture of the gospel. In Genesis 3.21, you notice God thought they looked dumb in fig leaves too, and he says, here, put these on. He gave them what? Animal skins. You ever wonder where he got those animal skins from? It seems an animal had to die to cover up their sin. 
already a picture, I believe, of the gospel. And then you get to Noah. And God said, there's going to be a flood over the whole earth. Noah, build this ark. And all his friends are saying he's crazy. But sure enough, here comes this flood. Yet Noah and his family and two of every kind of animal are safe in the ark. A picture of the gospel. And you have Abraham, who God promises that he's going to bless Abraham. And through him, through his seed, through his offspring, all the nations will be blessed. Yet through his son, his, his son between him and Sarah, God says to, to, to sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham goes in obedience to the Lord. And before he's about to sacrifice his son, the angel stays his hand. And Abraham turns and sees a ram caught in the thicket. It's a picture of the gospel. And Moses, leading the people out of Egypt, and they got their back up against the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh's army is coming, and yet the sea splits open. They're able to go through while the enemy is drowned behind them. Picture of the gospel. The bad news in the face of the good news. And then when the people were rebelling against God, and they, God sent down the serpents all upon them, right? And they started biting them and killing the Israelites. God tells Moses, make a serpent, put it, serpent, put it up on a staff, and have them look at it. When they look at it, they'll be saved. Jesus himself tells us that was a picture of the gospel. All the way through Scripture, God in his mercy and kindness has been bringing men and women to himself, calling us to him to save us from our sin and giving us a picture of the gospel. All the millions of animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, for what? The author of Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sin of man. But they were to stay the wrath of God to appease his wrath until the ultimate sacrifice came, a picture of the gospel. And John the Baptist, as he's out in the wilderness proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, sees Christ come in and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the gospel. You see, God sent his son down to this earth. Jesus Christ had to become a man. God the son became man, fully God and fully man, born of a virgin, a miraculous birth, grew up and lived perfectly before man and before God, never sinning against his father, living righteously and growing in wisdom, Luke tells us. Ultimately, to offer himself up on the cross as a sacrifice for you and for me, to pay for our sin, a sacrifice to his Father to pay for our sin. Jesus paid a price in a moment that it would take us forever to pay. We would pay it for eternity because we could never pay it off. Jesus, the perfect, unblemished lamb, could pay it in a moment. He was put there on the tree, and in that moment, he cries out, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? 
Do you realize he's the only one who can actually say that? He's the only one who didn't deserve to be forsaken. It's because in that moment, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin on the cross. And in that moment, God the Father poured out his wrath on his own son. Isaiah said it pleased the Lord to crush him. What you and I deserve to pay for, for eternity, we've earned it. Every single one of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus paid for in a moment. And he took it all in. And then he said, it's finished. It's finished. That's what that means. He paid for all of it. He also tells us that no one can take his life from him. He says, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have authority to take my life back up again. And so he gave up his spirit. It's interesting, he died before the other two on the cross, right? Because he chose when he was going to die. He gave up his spirit. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Because the penalty for sin is death. Of course, Peter tells us he was made alive in the spirit, and he was active during that time. But to everyone on the earth, what they saw is his dead, limp body hanging on the cross, and they stabbed him in the side to prove that he was dead. And as the song we sang earlier tells, water and blood poured out of his side, symbolic of our sins being forgiven and us being cleansed. They take him off the cross, and they put him in a borrowed tomb. I love the fact that it was borrowed because he wasn't going to need it very long. On the third day, brothers and sisters, he rose from the dead. Don't ever get used to that. Don't ever let that just become common. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We're told in Scripture in different places and Jesus raised himself. He says, I have authority to take my life back up again. We're told the Father raised him from the dead. We see that he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. All three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, were active in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, prior to that time, people had been brought back to life. Lazarus was brought back to life, but he died again. Jesus was raised from the dead after death, conquering death, showing that death can't hold him. Proving, as Paul says, that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Proving that he truly paid for all of our sins in full. And proving that he's going to come back again. And then Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from the wrath of God. Sometimes I'll ask folks that when they say, are you saved? I'm like, saved from what? We're saved from the wrath that we deserve. Yet at the same time, God loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross on your behalf so that the punishment would go on, on him so that you and I could be reconciled to God. 
That, brothers and sisters, is the best news you'll ever hear in your life. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called the good news. And if you haven't repented and believed, repentance is, as Pastor Mitch explained to us just a few Sundays ago, of course, it's turning away from our sin, turning away from our, our life of living for ourselves and turning to Christ. I like to say that repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. They go together. You can't have true faith in Christ without turning away from what it was that you had faith in before. Because you usually yourself or the world. We're called to repent, to turn to Christ. Repentance and faith. If you haven't repented and believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then do so while it's called today. I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. Because you may not get tomorrow. And if you have, and brothers and sisters, there's more to the story. As I said, that I started off with the first question, what is the gospel? It's the good news that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. The second question I had is, what does the gospel do? It saves us. Paul says that right here in verse 16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. That word power, it's where we get our, our, our word dynamite from. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You notice God didn't make it for everyone who lives perfectly. None of us would make it. But there is one who lived perfectly, and when you believe in him, he gives you his righteousness. You become perfect before God, and you're standing before God. To everyone who believes. So the third question I had is, what does the gospel continue to do? For those that are saved, isn't it interesting that the moment you're saved, God doesn't just zap you home? Wouldn't that be cool, though? Like, <laughs> The moment you're saved, you just get to go be with Jesus forever. But he doesn't do that because he still has work for us to do. The same command he gave Adam and Eve, he has for us to do. To fill the earth and subdue it. To have dominion. To spread the gospel everywhere. We've got our Awakened West Houston going on right now. Where we are, we are uh, intentionally focusing on spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that we know, those that are close to us. It's the work that God's called us to do. And the reality is that the gospel itself is the only thing that can give you the fuel in order to carry out the command that we've been given by God. So what does the gospel continue to do? Verse 17 here in Romans chapter 1. Paul continues, he says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And the ESV, it says from faith for faith. I like the NASB, uh, how it says from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, it takes faith in Christ in order to be saved, in order to, in order to, to go from darkness to light. But it also takes faith to continue to be saved. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I believe that once you are saved, you remain saved. God keeps you in your salvation. But I don't take it as like, a, like some flu shot, like a once and done thing. I take it as an active thing, the way God tells us that the moment we're saved, he fills us with his Holy Spirit, who is our seal 
until our day of redemption. The Holy Spirit keeps us in the faith every day. How? Through the gospel. From faith to faith. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. From faith to faith. The only thing that can keep you in the faith is the gospel. The reality in your life and in my life that Jesus Christ, God the Son, came down to this earth to die on the cross for you and me. And then he rose from the dead victorious. And then he calls us to believe in him and live for him. That message is the only thing that can keep us in the faith. And so I have here just five ways. What I put there is that what does the gospel continue to do? It sustains us. It sustains us. And so I see at least five ways here that the gospel sustains us. It's innumerable. The, the ways are innumerable how the gospel actually sustains us. But here's five. One, the gospel shows us love. Shows us love. God shows us his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John tells us that we only love because God loved us first. That is the picture of love, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he shows us love, and he shows us how to love. God calls us to love him but we don't start that transaction. He does. And our love for him then is a response of his love for us. He calls us to continue to grow in love. Does anybody here need help loving other people? I do. Especially the guy that just cut me off when I was trying to turn and he didn't use his blinker. And you want to get angry at him. But Jesus says we're called to love our enemies. How in the world can you do that outside of the power of the gospel? But with it, how can you not? God shows us love. The second way he sustains us is the gospel gives us hope. Does anybody in here need hope? I do. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. I love this. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. We have financial troubles. Everyone goes through that at some level in their life. You need another place to put your hope than in the material things this world. It's not that they don't matter. But if our hope is in them, we're going to be sorely disappointed. There's sickness. We all experience that on different levels. Yet God gives us hope through the gospel that this life is not all that there is. There's something greater that we're living for. There's relationships that get hindered and hampered. And yet, through the gospel, we have hope. There's a greater relationship that I'm called to, the one with God, where he will sustain me. 
The gospel message is the message of hope. That this life is not all that there is. There's something greater we're called to. Something greater we get to look forward to. And we'll all be there in less than 100 years. Do you get it? Less than 100 years. Everybody in this room will be one of two places. The gospel is the only message that gives you hope. The third way the gospel sustains us is it convicts us of sin. Ouch. Does anybody need to be convicted of sin? I do. And it's usually just about the time I think I'm doing all right. God reminds me that I've still got more to work on. When you think about the gospel message and what Jesus Christ did, Karis, our daughter, I was going over this message two nights ago. And she had sinned previously, and she got deeply convicted by this. The gospel message convicts you of sin when you recognize that every single lie that you tell has to go on the back of Jesus Christ. He paid for our sins that are in our past, our present, and our future because all of them were in his future. But every single one had to be accounted for. Paul says, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? Surely not. Let it not be so. If you truly grasp the message of the gospel, you will want to rid your life of every single stinking sin that is there. Yet it's God working in us that does it. His word that points out our sin like a master surgeon. The word is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of bone and marrow and soul and spirit. It reveals the intentions of our heart. The gospel convicts us of sin. Surrender yourself to it and grow. Listen, if you planted a tree and it grew to about that high, and it was a pecan tree, and it just stayed that high, would you say, ah, that's a healthy tree? No, you said, something's wrong with that. It's supposed to grow. As Christians, we're supposed to grow. We grow in our faith. We grow in our walk. And it's hard. It's hard. But the gospel is what gives us the power to do it. The gospel is what give us the, gives us the fuel to do it. By God's grace and mercy, he will continue to conform us into the image of Christ until the day he calls us home. Number four, the gospel sustains us by covering us in peace. This goes as the counter to our sin. Paul says that we who have been justified through faith now have peace with God. Do you realize at one time you were an enemy of God's? You were an enemy of God's. And yet now through the gospel we have peace. Everybody wants peace, regardless of whether they admit it or not. Anxiety and, and uh, panic are, are rampant. Depression, they're real things. But the only way to get true peace is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The reality that he made a connection between you and God through his death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel provides us peace. And then number five, the gospel sustains us by calling us to action. God doesn't want you to be complacent. He doesn't want you to be stagnant. You remember the parable of the talents? Jesus tells of the master who, who gave his servants talents. And he expected a return on those talents when he returned. God expects a return on you. Not in order to earn your salvation, but because you are saved, but because you are his. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's got work for you to do. We were created as his workmanship, as, as his product to go out in the world and be his representatives. And it's not easy. We work at it every single day. Getting up here and preaching today was a, was a means of grace by God. I'm honest before all you, and why would I not be? I have felt myself not too far back just drifting, getting complacent. And yet getting to do this is just another call to me. Step it up. The gospel calls us to action. And in that way, sustains us until the day he calls us home. Listen, if you're here this morning, and again, you haven't put your faith and trust truly in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do so again while it's called today. I plead with you. And if you have, praise God. Continue to be sustained by his beautiful gospel. Continue to remind yourself of that truth every single day. Continue to spread it to everybody who will lend you their ear until he calls you home or he returns. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this time once again to be under your word. We praise your holy name for giving us your son as our substitution. Substitutionary atonement, Father. Thank you for putting our sin on him and counting us righteous in his place through faith. We love you. We live for you. You own us. Do with us whatever you will, no matter what it costs. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.